Welcome to The Landing, the podcast that goes into the brush with foresters, contract loggers, and operators of the Pacific Northwest timber industry. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Landing. I'm your host, Jason Davenport, and today I have on Mike Weaver. He works for R.D. Reed's Construction and Construction and Logging. Is that what the name of the outfit is? Uh, it's just construction, but all we do is logging. <laughs> okay. I wondered about that because I see they well, post a lot of stuff on the internet. Well, when they started the company, they mostly built logging roads and I'm pretty sure that's why it was construction, but now that's all we do is log. Gotcha. And so I guess we can just jump right in with, uh, what got you into the industry? Oh, well, I was 19. I needed a job. Copy. So um, where are you living? Like you're you're up there they're out of like Rainier area. Yeah, I'm in I live in Napa. Gotcha. And so you've lived there like the your whole life or is that where you started yep. out logging? Uh well the company I worked for was out of Seaside and we logged out towards like Cannon Beach to Hamlet. Oh out you know, south of Seaside. Gotcha. So, um, that's pretty, from what I know of that area, logging is kind of a big, it's a big part of the industry. It's a big part of like the, uh, economy there. That's the word I'm looking for. So what's it like growing up in a town where, you know, best thing you can do when you're 19, you need a job is go work out in the rigging. Well, yeah. Well, you know, whole time, you know, even when I was still in high school, you know, it's the Napa loggers. Our mascot is a logger. So. You know, it's how it's always been. Um, been around logging my entire life, though, because my dad drives log truck. He's been driving for the same company for about 27 years now. Oh, wow. So, you know, as long as, as soon as I was old enough to use the bathroom by myself and wasn't in diapers anymore, I was in the passenger seat of his log truck. Yeah. So. So where did you, you start out setting chokers or you set out, or, you know, where did you, how did that work out for you? Cause uh, the last guy I talked to, Ben, he started out right in a yarder. So everyone's well, got start, kind of a different story, you know? I started out the very bottom. They, well, first few weeks I was on the landing chasing and then yeah, setting chokers for well, about nine months. And then the guy pulling rigging quit. So I got doing that. And then after about another, Nine ten months, they put the hook tender in a machine, and that's what I did for oh to about two thousand nineteen. Oh, right on. So, what's the difference between uh, pulling rigging and being a hook tender? Can you explain the difference in those two jobs? Well, the you know the rigging slingers is essentially the uh, direct supervisor of the choker setters, and you know it does the actual function of moving the wood to the landing versus the hook tenders. Essentially, the side supervisor and lays out your skyline roads and makes sure everything's going good. Gotcha. Um, what did you like about those jobs? Like, what was the best part about um, pulling rigging? Oh, it was, you know, we'd, we'd always have competitions and trying to get our turn time down to, you know, as small, as slow or as short as possible. Right. You know, trying to get quick turns bigger turns we'd have the biggest turn contest stuff like that <laughs> well it's healthy competition though yeah yeah i think um <clears throat> a lot of people don't understand that there is that kind of stuff in this industry and a lot of blue collar jobs it's that kind of same way like you take pride in what you do and you try and be the best at it it's been you know even if it's just the best out of your crew and the other side or something you know you still won you guys still kicked ass well, yeah, they, they, they early on, they set up a, an incentive thing for us. We called it Fritter Friday. And if we got a certain amount of loads by Friday, you know, they'd buy us donuts, ship them out on the rigging. That's pretty cool. So, so logging over on the coast, you've uh, had your fair share of wet days. Oh yeah. Wet, you know, you, you basically live with something on your hard hat to tie it to your head. Otherwise you're going to be chasing it through the unit. Yeah, I didn't think about that over there on the coast. It's windy all the time. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't. It wasn't uncommon for us to be working when it was blowing forty. Oh no, kidding! 
you'd, you'd watch turns go in, sky turns, and they're flying at a 45-degree angle because of the wind. Oh, jeez. Huh. huh. So I guess from when you started till now, like where who have you worked for and what did you like most about each job and all that kind of stuff? Well, I, I started with F&B, which is, stands for Fleur and Bergeson. They're out of Seaside. And I worked for them for, well, about a week short of 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, and that was just, you know, a few months ago, six months ago, I think is when I left there and I went to work for Reeves. <laughs> so um, why did you, why did you make the change? Oh, just a whole bunch of different reasons. Yeah. You know, there were people there I wasn't getting along with and, you know, um, I get that. Did, a little bit more money, different change of scenery. Yeah, you're probably working in different spots and stuff now. Yeah, I'm working on the complete of other side of, it feels like the other side of the state, but we're just like one county over. <laughs> but the ground's completely different. Trees are different. So what's one thing that you would say makes the outfit you're with now you know, new, unique compared to the other outfit you worked for. All where I work now, we do all our own cutting, and they have a tethered. You know, while they have a tether machine, they'll run either the eight thirty or the eight fifty five off it. And I mean, I haven't seen a line machine work in the six months I've been there because everything's just been tethered. Oh wow, they're doing all their logging tether that way then. Yeah, right now. Gotcha. There is the job we're on right now. There will be some yoder logging coming up in the next month or so. Gotcha. Just a weird corner they can't get in with tether base or? Uh, it's just, if it was the summertime, I think might have been able to get it, but it's pretty steep and the ground's pretty soft. Yeah. So do you think that the tethering stuff is going to be the way of the future then? Or what do you think about that? I don't know. It seems to have its place, but there's there's always going to be something that you cannot get with it. But I've also seen, you know, with like a certain landowner, for instance, if they couldn't get it with the tether, they didn't want hand cutters in there, so they just left what they couldn't get. Oh, really? I haven't heard about that yet. Well, it was only like one small little corner, so they just left it as their wild leave trees and stuff. Yeah. Copy that. So what keeps you going back to work out in the woods after all this time? I mean, you probably could have done something else by now. Oh, it pays a lot better than what some people think. You know, when I was in high school, I had one teacher tell me I wouldn't go amount to anything because I didn't want to go to college. Yeah. And, you know, I'd probably make more than they do now. You're probably right. I mean, I had... So I graduated in 2008 and they were really pushing everyone to go to four-year college. And, uh, that's not for me do that much schooling. So I wound up going to learn how to weld at the community college, but even that I barely made it through that. It's just too much book work. Yeah. It's just, it's not for some people and it's, and it just gets old when they push it on you. Yeah. So, um, you said that you got hurt when we were talking earlier. What, uh, what, working out in the woods, what happened with that? So, it was November 20th, it was actually last week would have been about, actually last Saturday would have been three years. Um, but it was 2018, and we were yoder logging, and we set the carriage down on top of this great big flat fir stump, keep it up out of the mud. And the chaser went up to the one side to shut it off because it was an eagle carriage, and the way you shut those down is if you turn the key off, it'll kill the motor, but it also clamps the skyline. So you kill the fuel to the motor to kill the motor, and then on the other side of the carriage is a valve to drain the pressure, and then when you turn the key off, it won't clamp itself. And so I was on on the other side of the car ready to turn that valve to drain the pressure for him, and uh, 
as soon as I drained the pressure, I closed the valve. And as soon as I closed that door, that car got thrown on top of me. What from like, did it, the, did the clamp actually close and grab it up on the skyline or what happened? Do you know? No, everything was on the ground, shut down. The only thing they could figure is because there was a little bit of a belly out and the skyline was tight is something cleared up down the line and caused a, a whip through the skyline to throw it off that stump. So you basically just got crushed by an eagle carriage. Yeah, from about um, yeah, about the middle of my body, about knees up. Um, I don't know, they're about 13, 1,400 pounds. Yeah, it's enough to make that not very much fun. Yeah, yeah. So how did you get out of there? They just... They ended up getting up off me. They helped me up, and I walked over, sat down on a log, and passed out from internal bleeding. Um, Ended up taking an ambulance ride to the local hospital, and then life flight to OHSU, where I was in surgery till two, three o'clock in the morning. Ouch. What, uh, what kind of injuries did you get from that? Uh, I lost, I lost a kidney, a lacerated spleen, and I ended up with two broken vertebrae in my back. God, how long were you down for from that? Uh, I was at the hospital for about a week and then went home. Yeah. I was going to say that's no like overnight kind of deal. Yeah, and then I went back to work about two weeks after that on light duty. Really? Yep. Yeah. You know, so loggers are tough, man. And you're just another example of that. Two weeks after getting squished. Yeah, it was about, well, it was three weeks total. God dang. And I mainly, I was getting bored sitting at home. Right. I guess so. That. I went. I went back to work on light duty, which all I did was they just stuck one of the guys from the rigging with me. He did all the work, and I just pointed where where he needed to go. And what were you, was your job at that time? I was still hooking at the time. Gotcha. So you basically were just running around telling a guy what to do? Yeah, I, I couldn't lift anything over uh, 10 pounds for eight weeks God. because I had an open incision from my belt line to about the uh, middle of my chest where they cut me open to, you know, look at all my insides and suck what was left of my kidney out because the kidney just got squished with all. Oh, wow. I would imagine that probably didn't feel real good first couple of weeks you were back out in the brush. Oh, no. It, it, it never quit hurting as long as I was hooking. It was uphill hiking is what hurt the most. But You uh, still have any pain from that? anymore or did everything get fixed pretty good well back pain yeah i still have back pain yeah I um apparently the doctor told me that they weren't broken vertebrae they were rebroken vertebrae because apparently i'd already broke them but wasn't i don't remember when but apparently they were already broken and so he said once they re-break they never heal right the second time oh really i didn't know that so that's huh. that's what he told me is why why I have so much back pain. So what's your job now at Reeves? Are you running shovel uh, or? Yeah, I'm shoveling. And then every, you know, somebody's gone, I'll load trucks for the day or two days or whatever it is. Um, the shovel I'm running, the, it's a little older, 568 with the drums on it to be a yoder. Oh, cool. How do you like that machine? I know they've got a lot of link belt shovels too. Yeah, it's oh, uh, it's one of their older machines. They have a two forty there with thirty one thousand hours, but this one's got sixteen thousand, which is more than well, most of the other ones. But it's I mean, it starts up, runs every day, and I have no complaints other than it uses a lot of fuel. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a it's not a small machine. No, that's well, impressive I, though. I mean. Shovel logging with a machine with that many hours on it every day, that's a, that really says something about the maintenance program they've got going. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, that's the other difference with Reeves versus where I worked before is Reeves has a full-time mechanic. And before, I was having to do all my own maintenance um, on the machine. 
Yeah, that gets pretty old. So how does that work now then? Like if you blow a hose, you just call the mechanic on the radio or? I know hoses all do, but like they do all the scheduled maintenance, all the 90 weight, change the motor oil. If it's something I can't fix, they'll come out, fix it. Oh, gotcha. So you're still taking it on like, oh, it's my machine. I'm going to change a hose. If I blow a hose, no big deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. That thing, if, if it breaks down, I'm not making money. So you got to take care of your equipment. So that's another thing I was going to ask you about, too, is um, <clears throat> how much of that stuff will you do? Like, not necessarily at the at Reeves, but even before, because I talk to a lot of guys that just say, well, that's not my problem. I, I don't own that machine. But really, you're earning your living in that machine. So how do you look at that? Anything you can fix, you try and do or... Yeah, anything I can fix, I will do. Um, if it's something that needs to be fixed and they don't want to do it, you know, I'll I will try to get it done. Eh, I might get flamed for this, but I feel like that's the right way to do it uh, as well, an employee, you know, equipment operator. Well, yeah, and that you know, the whole time I was a kid, you know, my dad drove a log truck. He drove somebody else's truck. But that was his way of earning money, so I was taught you take care of it like it's your own. I would have to agree with you there because, you know, like you said, that's how you earn a living. That machine's got to run for you to work, so I don't really see the the fantasy in saying, well, I don't want to bolt in this thing. It's just like you're just going to tear it up so you can't go to work, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, it's a little different with Reeves. Um like that 568's got 16,000 hours. And when I was working at FMB, the loader I was in had 7,200 hours and they were looking at trading it in. Um, just because they don't keep stuff that long. You know, they just keep, always buy new machines. Yeah. I've seen both sides of that too. It seems like if you keep them traded in at pretty low hours and you don't have a lot of breakdowns, but. At the same time, it sounds like the outfit you're with now has got a good enough maintenance program where they can run a machine with a little more hours on it. Well, yeah, yeah. There's, well, like that 568, I think they replaced the motor in it a few years ago. I don't know, I wasn't working there, but, and then this last winter they put, they swapped the tracks out to the single bars from the double bar. That probably helps out quite a bit when you're shovel logging. Yeah, it does. It has its pros and cons because it will dig and you will bury yourself if you're not careful. Oh. So that probably runs a little bit like a buncher having single bars out there where, like, you got to be careful how hard you push something or you'll get stuck just from digging out your own hole. Yeah, yeah, it'll just dig down if you're not too careful. That's why I miss the two bars sometimes because you'll just float right across the top of the surface. Gotcha. But you'll end up pushing and pulling every time you hit a hill. Yeah, I've seen guys, I've never run shovel, you know, logging or nothing, but I see a lot of guys that pull themselves up the hill or, you know, put the hill rack down to spin the tracks around a little bit. But I always just figured that's because they're heavy shovels. I wasn't thinking that's because they got single bars on them. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it gets more traction than it's able to turn for, you know, turning a corner. But it also, one side is heavier because it's got the drums on one side. What, are those just a couple of pole masters over there? Pretty typical Yoder setup? Yep, yeah. it's uh, It was originally set up by Pierce, and then they had it redone by Summit. Oh, cool. And then they run one of the Summit grapple cars on it. Oh, that's neat. I bet that thing's a wood getting SOB if you can see where you're going. Yeah. So, um, when, yeah. I worked, when I worked for F&B, we had a 04, I think it was about 04, Link Belt 350 that was set up by Pierce originally, and I ran that thing quite a bit, Yoder logging. And we had an Eagle grapple carriage. So I would imagine with that, you're going to have to cut you know, you're, you're going to want to cut that unit differently than you would if you're just going to shovel log it, right? If you have the ability, um, it helps to have it almost quartered to just straight side hill 
because it gives you an easier purchase for the bucks, being able to not have to swing side to side to grab trees. If they're um, fell side hill, you can kind of grab them anywhere from right at the butt to 20 feet into the butt and, you know, not be looking for ends. Oh, gotcha. See, I would have thought that you'd wanted it all, you know, at least quartered to straight up and down, but that makes sense if you can, if they're side hill, you can pretty much grab them wherever you want. Yeah, yeah, it's a little easier sometimes. Um, well, I worked for, you know, fluers for the longest time. We we would deck a lot of stuff with the loader if you could get the leveler down in there and just deck it up for it. Okay, and then run the yoder and grab the decks and fly them up to the road? Yep, yeah, same way we did with the yarder for a long time. I bet that makes for quick turn times. Because back when we had the yarder, we would we would go through and deck the unit with a loader, and then if it was longer throwing, we'd just yard it with the yarder, and you'd get, oh, I think our best day was like seven, 800 stems um, in one day, yarding eight hours with the yarder. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you like running yoder? Uh it's different. Probably not as fun as shovel logging, but. Yeah. No, I don't know. You just, you'll work daylight hours a lot of times because trying to log in the, in the dark with, you know, it has a camera. Some of them are infrared, but it's still a pain. So you're stuck working, you know, in the winter, seven o'clock till five o'clock is 10 hours. And as opposed to being able to start at two, three o'clock in the morning, like shovel logging. Right. Um, so between the two, have you run that Yoder at Reeves yet? Not as a Yoder. No, we have not, not had to run it in the six months they've been there. Well, seven months now. Gotcha. I was just wondering if the two of them ran much different than the, than each other or how that would work. They're, they're pretty much the same. They're originally both set up by Pierce. Um, the only difference is because you run the drums with your travel pedals when you switch it into Yoder mode. Um, they're on opposite sides. Oh, gotcha. That might take a little a little bit of getting used to. Yeah, a little bit. Try not to hit the, dump the skyline, sending the car out. Yeah. <laughs> so would you rather shovel log or run Yoder? Uh, honestly, I'd rather hook. Oh, really? But, yeah. And why is that? I just, I love that the most. Just getting out and seeing the lay of the land and being out there all the time. Yeah, it was always different. You were always, you know, I was like 40, 50 pounds lighter then because I was actually getting some exercise. (laughs) I feel like that's one of those jobs too that if you do it right, it makes a big difference on how the jobs go. Yeah, it it was also, you know, a sense of pride thing, you know, you know, I have people come from different companies and they're like, when I worked here, our average road change was like two hours. I'm like, oh, well, you're working here now. We're going to be changing roads in less than an hour. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, fastest road change that I had, we were hang- we used to hang on our Yoder with the yarder. Okay, as a tail hole? Yep. Okay. Yeah, right between the tracks. And we would disconnect the skyline, grab it in the grapples, tighten the skyline up and walk the yoder over to the next spot if there was no trees in between. Right. And so the fastest road change that I, I've had is like, say, 4,000 feet of skyline, move it over 500 feet, and it'd take less than 10 minutes. That's insane. And we'd be back logging again. So that was just with uh, nothing you had to really clear up over the skyline. If you, you know, no leave trees or buffers or anything like that. Yeah. So yeah. Well, what, what goes into like getting a road change ready? Like when you do have, if you're say, if you're moving to the other side of a buffer strip or something like what all do you have to get ready when you're hooking to make that a successful road change? Uh, well, making sure it's in a straight line. That's always the big thing is I spent a lot of time and a lot of ribbon to make sure that skyline goes in a straight line because it will clear up and not scar up as many trees. Um, but we, 
if we could hang on our yoder, we would because it's obviously it's stronger than a stump. Yeah, and we would seems fast for a road change too. We'd uh, we'd pull the main line off of the drum and we put haywire on it if we had to pull your skyline out and run it that way, much like people do with the drum on a cat, but. Um, but yeah, making sure the road is straight and making sure the crew knows where the next road is going to be. So they pull wide enough and not too wide. Oh, I've had gotcha. many, a crew, I've had many a crew pull too wide because they think the road is going to be over further than where it was. Then when the skyline clears up, you got no wood directly under the line. Oh, I see. So it's making it, making sure the crew knows where the end of the haywire is, where the next road's going to be, and what the plan is. Gotcha. And so that's all basically your job. If you're hooking, you got to get everybody on the same page. Yep. Yeah. I would imagine dealing with the people would be one of the harder parts of that job. Yeah, you have you have to be able to get along with people, and I've seen hook tenders like the one that was there before me, he just, if somebody did something wrong, sometimes he would just scream and yell at people and that doesn't get you very far. That's, um, seems to me like the old school way to do it. Cause I worked with some guys in these shops that I've worked in and it's there the same way, but it doesn't really seem like it ever gets anything done. No. So changing gears a little bit, but kind of has to do with what we were just talking about, you know, hooping and hollering and, throwing rigging fits. Um, do you find that dealing with younger generation people is harder or easier than the older guys? Um, when I was hooking, it was almost a little easier just because of how old I was, you know, most of the time I was hooking, everybody that was there was older than me. Oh, gotcha. Even all the way down to the choker setters would be, you know, they'd be like 25, 26, you know, almost 30. And I was, I started hooking when I was 20, 21. So I'd imagine that had its own set of challenges to deal with then. Yeah. Yeah. You'd, you know, you'd have people that, you know, they come from another company. All they'd ever done is set chokers, pull rigging, but they're like 40 years old. And they just, I mean, sometimes they'd be a little arrogant, think they know more than I do just because I'm younger, but been logging you know as long as they had because they started later in life so what'd you do to overcome that kind of stuff like how'd you manage those guys that were kind of a little more headstrong than you even though you know you guys have been logging the same amount of time i i just put my foot down and it's like this is this is how we're going to do it i mean there'd be people would come up and they'd suggest an idea and you know i'd tell them no we're not going to do that and then they'd get all pissed on like the ride home and I'd be like, look, I have tried it that way and it didn't work. Right. Sorry. I didn't have time to explain this to you, but I've, I've already been there. It was snowing and it sucked. That makes sense. I mean, at least you, you know, took the time, even if it was just riding in the crummy to kind of explain to him, you know, Hey, this is why, you know, I feel like that goes a long ways with a lot of people. Yeah. So what, what do you think it's going to take to attract uh, the next generation into the timber industry, like logging and all that stuff? Oh man. Now it's a million dollar question basically. So, you know, (laughs) there's really no right answer. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I mean, you know, there's schools that have forestry programs, but a lot of those are, are are still, you go to college, you become a forester, not, you know, hey, you want to set chokers, or, you know, when you get out of school, you want to run cat for a summer or something, you know? Yeah, I feel like there's, you know, if you go to, like, let's say, if you go to OSU in the forestry program, like you said, you're still going to come out as a forester, you're not really going to come out of there as a yarder engineer, you know? Yeah. Cause so like you were saying, your dad was a log truck driver. So you kind of got broken in early to being out in the woods. And 
I'm assuming it just kind of got in your blood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I just happened to go to work for the same company that he was hauling from. They don't have trucks. He hauled. it was, they'd subcontract the truck because my dad drove for Jim Gettenberg and Jim hauled from F and B logging. And that's the company I went to work for. And when I went to work there, the person that was loading trucks was the same person that was loading trucks when my dad worked there. Oh, that's cool. As a matter of fact, the first truck I ever loaded was my dad's truck because he volunteered to be the guinea pig. Oh, really? Yeah. That's kind of neat. Yep. So what's one lesson that you've had to learn the hard way that kind of sticks out in your mind as something you're never going to forget? Oh, man. <laughs> or two. We've got oh. plenty of time. Well, my my motto when I was hooking was always when in doubt, twist it back, because I don't know how many times there'd be times where, man, I should put a twister on this just in case. No, it'll work out, and then it didn't work out. Oh, like on a guy line stump or something? Yeah, or tail hold that, you know. We, when you work on the coast, there's a lot of rock and you got to twist a lot of rope balls together to get into space sometimes. So for some people that maybe aren't in the industry that listen to this, um, when you have your tail hole, that's your skyline on your, on your yarder or yoder. Yep. And you're going to a stump most of the time. Stump or standing tree or I've went to a rock or two before. Right. Now, Explain for those guys what you mean by putting a couple of twisters on it. So when I started hooking, we were running steel haywire. By the end of it, we were running that new rope haywire, which is pretty nice. But you'd, you'd basically, I'd take a section of haywire and I would run it back and forth between say two trees right. and then you put a stick in the middle and twist it till it's tight. And then you adjust your tension for how much load you want to spread from your tail hold to your tie back tree. Right. So I've seen and, pictures online. I've never seen it in real life, but I've seen pictures on Facebook of stumps that are twisted back to like five or six different ways. Have you ever had to do that? Oh yeah. Yeah. You look on my uh, Instagram, there's a downhill tail hold that we were downhilling on right next to onion peak. And, uh, that one was twisted back 12 or 13 times. Holy cow. Just weren't feeling, uh, confident in it, huh? No, it's all rock. Yeah. And then being downhill. So how much different is downhill yarding than like regular uphill? Um, as by way of like what you've got to look out for and is it any different setting up, you know, except running the haul back to get the car to the back end? Yeah. You know, you gotta, your road change is your big thing. Um, getting your skyline up there. Yeah. I mean, we would normally change roads with our haul back and I would leave the haul back out. Even if we weren't running it on the car, I would just use it to pull my skyline out and then I'd deadhead it off. And I would use that for changing roads every time instead of having a big leg of haywire going all the way around. Gotcha. Um, but when you're downhill and you have to use your hull back to get your car out, so you have to get your skyline out and then get your hull back back to the landing to get the car and try to get slack on it to get your skyline unhooked from it when you hook it up to your tail hold. So it's just a whole lot of extra effort, it sounds like. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, I'd, I'd go through all the extra work to move my hull back so it was on the opposite side of the skyline that the crew wanted to clear out on so that they weren't always in the bite, you know, try to make it safer for them. Oh, that's smart. What other kind of tricks like that did you have up your sleeve when you're hooking? Oh. Because, I, you know, there's a lot that goes into this stuff, and I, I've never worked on a yarder side, but I know, like, the... I know the standard, you know, pretty general function of how this works. You know, the haul back pulls the car back up the belly on the back end, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But like these little tricks, like you were just saying, running the haul back across the other side where they, the guys weren't in the bite. Like that's a pretty cool thing to do because everybody just wants to go home at night, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot more work having it, you know, because I'd have to move my hull back all the time and reset everything. And But any anything that would make it a little safer, I'd keep it back in the trees. And, you know, that was a lot of work adjusting strap lengths and everything to get my blocks just right so it wouldn't rub on trees because I'd make sure that the back end of my haulback was back inside the trees so that if one of the blocks did go out, it had, you know, a half a half an acre of trees to catch it. Oh, gotcha. That's pretty cool. I never, I never thought about that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, I've seen people, they'll put it on the tree lines. That way it's all, you know, basically you could see all the blocks from the yarder and then, you know, it's not rubbing on anything, but you know, one of them blocks goes out or a strap or the tree pulls over and everything's going to, you know, it's just a big slingshot. Yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of guys out in the middle of the brush just scrambling. Yep. Gotcha. Um, we were always big on our eyes, you know, cause we'd hang out sometimes 5,000 feet, you know, or more. Um, the most we'd hung out with that 172 was about 6,200 feet. Oh, wow. I didn't think you could hang out far out with a 172. Well, I don't think you're supposed to. Oh, copy. <laughs> but it was the H&H power pack, and we were hung way out, and we were hanging on our yoder, and we had it on the backside of a stockpile in a rock pit. And the older guy that was running the yarder at the time, and he started in third to get the line speed and downshifted to second, and I think by the time he stalled it out in first, before he set the brake, trying to get all that line up there. And then we logged on that road. That's been as pulling rigging still. We logged on that road for seven to 10 days. Oh, wow. What was your yarding distance on that? Uh, like 2,600 feet. Oh, gotcha. So you're not logging that whole span. No, that was just to get, just to get enough, enough lift to log it. And then still in the middle where there was a great big boulder, the, the choker bells were cresting that boulder just dangling across it when it uh, was coming back empty. That's crazy. Yeah, that was that was the probably the worst job we have ever logged as long as I'd worked there. Because huh. I've been on a Brewers has a 172 down here and I've been out there a couple of times, you know, taking pictures and stuff. And for not being any bigger than those yarders are, I'm always impressed with, you know, the turns they'll pull in and how far they'll string out and, you know, work every day. Yeah, yeah, I, I worked with a guy. His name was Will. He he wasn't a full-time yarder upper. He ran it, you know, filling in a few times. And, I mean, I swear them tops hit that skyline. He was reeling them in so fast. <laughs> Just flat out behind the car. Huh. So did you ever run that yarder? Oh, yeah. Yeah, when I was, I was hooking, I'd ran it several days when the yarder operator was moving or something. Just filling in. Yeah. How'd you like that? Oh, it was okay. It's boring. Uh, especially, you know, the, you've seen the inside of the cabs of the 172s. They're pretty simple, pretty ergonomic controls. So it's, there's not much in there. Yeah. It seems like there's just exactly how much stuff you need to log with. And then that's it. Yeah. Well, the way that it, there's a lot of electronic controlled stuff. And then the way they make the controls, it was like one of the first ergonomic yarders that just has real simple controls. And by not having a dash in front of you, you've got a full big win window. Oh, cool. Yeah. I don't think I'm trying to think if that one, I couldn't tell you, I don't know if I seen inside the cat inside the cab enough to remember or not, but that would be but, pretty no, nice I, not having that dash in there. Yeah, I miss that yarder. I miss hooking. Probably still be there doing that. Actually, had the yarder not, you know, tipped over. So what happened with that? Uh, well, we were walking it from one setting to another, and just the road gave out from underneath it. Oh, geez. Not it was. You can do to, to, you know, prevent that. It just it was raining like it is now. It was just pouring down rain. And there's so much rock in that country that the water run right down the rocks or right into the fill. And 
Um, it started to go over a little bit cause the road was starting to give out and the yarder engineer stopped and got out and called on the handheld for some help. And the guy loading trucks started walking his loader that way. And the guy that was shovel logging on the other end started walking his loader the other way. And that 50, 40 and the, the shovel logger was running crest the corner right as it was going over. Oh, this didn't make it in time, huh? No. Well, I didn't at least the yard operator got out. Yeah, yeah, and nobody was in it. Everything, no injuries. We got it back upright and back on the road. The When it went over, it was down into a canyon, so it was about 60 feet below the road. Um, they had to dig the road down to the level of the yarder for us to roll it back up onto the road and then fix it and walk it up out of there. Gotcha. I was wondering how you did that. If you had a, that seems about like the five, easiest way to do it. Yeah. About four or five V8 cats, two great big excavators, three log loaders, lots of cable and lots of blocks. Yeah. That's a lot of weight to tip back over. Yeah. 130, 140,000 pounds. If I remember right. Oh, geez. Well, yeah. Cause that's got feathers and all. You're just probably moving it to the next landing, huh? Yep. Yeah, if if I had it my way, it'd have been towing the guy line extensions. <laughs> That's crazy. That's probably one of my last questions, uh, Mike. Is what's the biggest misconception you've seen that people in the public have of this industry? All oh, that we're just you know cutting all the trees and taking it all, and nobody cares. Yeah, I would have oh. to agree with you there. I mean, I I spend. Every ditch crossing that I have, I spend sometimes 20 minutes, sometimes an hour to fix to make sure that ditch is going to flow right when I am done. So I was never there. Right. So I guess that's another thing I could ask you about is what all, what all goes into these jobs that's not actually yarding the logs? Like, what do you do before you guys leave that, you know, some outfits might not do that? It's just a point of pride for you. Oh, my, my thing is the way I stack the brush, you know, I will go through and I will push all them chunks into a pile and I will make sure that the stuff on top is green brush. Cause I've seen a couple people, they'll put muddy logs and chunks and I'll make sure that I have a nice clean looking slash pile, clean out every ditch. There will be no chunks next to the road, all that kind of stuff. No ruts. I will save all my brush to cover my tracks throughout the entire unit. There's a couple outfits down here. I know a couple guys that do that too. And I think it makes a big difference when you, if you make a big rut, you know, kind of like playing at a golf course, you fill in your divots. Yeah. I think that goes a long way with like landowners and timber companies. And, you know, people see that you're trying to take care of their land a little bit more than the next guy. Yeah. And our, our like standard, policy for reeves is if there's an excessive amount of brush in one spot out in the unit we will build a small slash pile you know say less than 10 diam 10 foot diameter to make it easier for the tree planters yeah um that way they're not having to dig through three feet of slash to get down to the dirt to plant a tree and then we're making slash piles that are small enough that they can plant around them and it doesn't upset the stand right so you guys mostly working on private ground up there yeah, it's, it's for the most part warehouser. Oh, gotcha. Okay. That's that's the same landowner I worked for when I worked for F&B was warehouser. Yeah. And then bef- before that, it was Longview Fiber. Okay. Um, it seems like, too, though, that like you guys are looking at it in the long term, um, you know, putting little brush piles out in the, in the, in the unit to kind of clean up a little bit to make it easier for the tree planters. And I feel like that's a pretty awesome thing because you're looking at it long term like some of these guys you know they're doing their best they're making their units look nice but they're not thinking about you know the guy that's got to come back through here and plant trees on 10 foot spacing yeah yeah and it's just it's just back to that making it easier for the next guy yeah because i you know we're all in it together you know it seems like that's starting to that idea of everyone's working together for the greater good of the industry. I feel like a lot of that's starting to come back a little bit. 
Yeah. And uh, that's kind of what I want to do with this is just kind of talk to some of you guys and see. Because I know that all the guys I know, like, it's not about just rape, pillage, and run, you know. So it's nice to hear, you know, even guys that are a little bit further away, they're kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, you you got to watch your water management, your soil compaction, you know, and there's a lot of that goes back to the SFI stuff. If you want to be SFI certified so your wood gets sold at Home Depot, you know, they'll come out and check everything. So what all goes into that? Can you explain that a little bit? I've never heard of SFI. Uh, SFI is the Sustainable Forestry Initiative. Okay. It's when I went through an SFI class, they were going over, you know, like invasive species or not invasive species, endangered species, you know, all these definitions, riparian management area, all this different stuff. And it's, if you're not SFI certified, so the warehouser's big on, on making sure the contractor is SFI certified because places like Home Depot and Lowe's want SFI certified lumber, gotcha. meaning that the lumber came from a sustainable forest. That's cool. Huh. I didn't know that because I used to do shutdowns uh, in a past life, I guess you could say, at the warehouser's Cottage Grove Mill. Yeah. And, um, you know, they at the time they were doing 9 million feet a week, you know, from raw logs to finished lumber on a rail car. And um, from what I was told, and it might not be true anymore, but all the dimensional lumber in the lower 48 at a Home Depot comes from like right there or a couple other warehouse or mills, you know, in Oregon and Washington. So that's pretty cool. I didn't realize that about that uh, SFI. Yep. Right on. Well, my last question for you is going to be, uh, what's your favorite energy drink? Oh, I can't have any now. I only got one kidney. Oh, yeah, I didn't <laughs> Duh. That's I can't day. have can't have Red Bull or Rockstar. Otherwise, oh man, them fruit punch Rockstars. I used to drink one of them every morning. <laughs> or I, I, can't, I can't have that kind of stuff anymore. Can't even have ibuprofen. Oh really? On on a regular basis? Nope. Huh. So you just got back pain that you just gotta live with. Yeah, a little bit. Jeez. Tylenol. Yeah. They they got some other stuff. I'm sure if I lost some weight, I'd have a little less back pain. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, it's hard to pass a UA with that, though. Well, Mike, I appreciate your time this evening. Um, I guess if people wanted to reach you, they could hit you up on Instagram. It's uh, mweaver65284. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. But unless there's anything else that you wanted to add, man, I really appreciate having you on. Not that I can think of. Um Oh, I don't know. It'd just be nice to see a lot more, you know, a lot more younger people get out of high school and be like, man, I want to go logging. Yeah, right. That's what I wanted yeah. to do, but my dad got smashed in 87, so he was like, nah, I don't want to worry about you out there in the brush. Well, yeah, dang. I didn't have much of a choice. I really needed a job, but I do remember when I was about six or seven years old, uh, my dad made Don Fleur, which was the original owner of F&B Logging before he passed away, made Don Fleur promise to never give me a job because he wanted to go logging. Yeah. And, you know, fast forward 12, 13 years and, you know, I needed a job, so. Yeah, I feel like this is, it's one of those jobs that's always going to be there and it's always going to be hard work, but if you get on with a good outfit, I mean, it's honest living, you know, your paychecks aren't going to bounce if you're on with a good outfit and, you know, you go home at the end of the day, you're tired physically, but you know, you know that you did a good job for the company you're working for. It's pretty, I feel like it's a lot better at night when you know you worked for what you earned. Yeah. You know, I do, I do kind of miss working the last place I worked just because it was such a small company. I think there was 12 employees total. Um, and my actual boss was one of the people that was out there shovel logging with us. I mean, not just sitting at home collecting a check. Yeah. 
I don't know. We gotta move on to something bigger sometimes. Yeah, there's uh there's pros and cons to both, I think. Yeah. It's closer to home for me now. That's a plus usually. Yeah. Less time in the car means more time to do other stuff. Yep. So <laughs> Well Mike, Less I appreciate time. it, man. Yep. I'll um uh this will probably go up. It'll probably go up on the 10th. Oh, uh, yeah. Or whatever day is the last weekday before that. <laughs> <laughs> I get, uh, I don't know, I just kind of look at it like I'll post them on paydays and then everybody will have something to look forward to after they blow their check, you know? Oh, well, I don't know what your payday is. Mine's on Monday. Oh, is it? <laughs> well, no. Tuesday. Oh, gotcha. Last day. Yeah, mine's the 10th and the 25th, so I'm like, oh, I'll just post them. You know, that'll keep me honest on my schedule that way, at least. I would like to say, since I went to work for Reeves, Robin that works in our office has got to be the nicest lady I have ever met for, uh, you know, uh, company owners. Well, I guess daughter, wife, whatever. Um, the, the, comp- the name R.D. Reeves is from Roy Reeves, and then that'd be his daughter, and then the person that usually oversees everything, his name is Mark Clark, and that'd be Robin's husband. Oh, that's cool, though. That's still a family-owned outfit and run. Yep. Yeah. Mark's uh, <laughs> Mark's from South Africa, so he's got a pretty heavy accent still. That's cool. That's a neat accent, and I'm not going to yeah. attempt to re- recreate it because I don't do well at that one. So. Yeah, sometimes it's a little hard to understand him on the CV. But <laughs> well, cool, man. I um, like I said, I appreciate having you on, and uh, one of these days I'll have to come up and meet you and take some pictures of you logging. Yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff going on right now. Um, but actually, right behind me is the tether cutting what he can. I mean, it's it's such bad ground. He's basically going down cutting what he can and then we call it the walk of shame because he can't make it back up the hill so he's walking around on the road and then starting down again oh jeez that's how that's how soft the ground is right now yeah that's pretty soft because those 830s and the 855s they do really well on that kind of ground compared to the other machines i've seen yep yeah it's eight it's the guy with the 855 and a grapple saw and he's he just cannot make it back up the hill it's just that soft that's crazy all right mike i'll let you get back to your evening man thanks again and i'll talk to you soon all right have a nice night yeah you too man